Folks, I don't know what you start to think about when you see that phrase, I am a Christian. Uh, What goes through your mind if you, in fact, are a follower of Jesus here today may be entirely different than what goes through the mind of someone that that doesn't uh, know Jesus, that, that isn't a Christian And so if you were to kind of poll uh, people in uh, your neighborhood or in our community who are are not Christians, uh, if you would expand that out to people across our state or across our country or maybe farther, I think you'd get a really wide assortment of definitions for the term Christian. And, And I would probably venture to say that a whole bunch of those terms that you'd get back would not necessarily be positive, right? Uh, because th- there's just kind of a, a, a thing here where over time, what it means to be a Christian um, has either lost its original meaning or has come to mean something that biblically it was never, ever meant to mean. And so now if you were to talk to somebody that isn't a Christian and you'd say, what, what is a Christian? They'd go, oh, those are the judgmental people. Uh, what, what do you think of when you think Christian? Oh, that's a hypocritical person. Uh, when you hear the word Christian, what do you think of? Oh, that's, that's those people who are always against these sorts of things. They don't know what we're for, but they certainly know what we're against. Oh, those are the people who um, are weak and they need some sort of crutch. And so they've come up with this this religion or Jesus is a way to cope. And if that's what they need, then cool, that, that's, that's okay too. Uh, you may get, well, they're religious people. You may get, oh, they help certain people here and there. But there'd be a really diverse cross-section. But what we want to do just for a few weeks is kind of reclaim and restore and redeem what it means to be a Christian. What, what should it mean? Because I think it should mean something really precious. I think it should mean something incredibly special. And so um, I love you all, but we, we're going to raise the bar a little bit for the next several weeks. And uh, we, we, we've got followers of Jesus here in the room. And, um, and so for us to continue to kind of chase what it is that it truly means to be a follower of Jesus is, is a really, really big deal. But we're going to go to the scriptures to do that. Um, There's a city called Antioch. Uh, It still exists, but in its heyday, it was actually back in in biblical times. And in Acts chapter 11, there's this description. We we find out that the first time that the term Christian was used was in this city of Antioch. That in its day was the third most influential, the third largest, third most powerful city in its area in its day. And they were the first to coin the term Christian. And what it meant was the people that they had started to observe around them began to speak and behave and act like the Jesus that they were familiar with. That's super cool. That they were familiar because Jesus had been around, um, actually on planet Earth, around them. They were familiar with this Jesus. They were familiar with his teaching, familiar with, with his demeanor, his ethic, uh, what he stood for, the way that he interacted with people. And then these people started showing up who behaved and looked and acted and spoke 
an awful lot like Jesus. And so they called those people Christians. In, in their day, if you added I-A-N after somebody's name, it meant that you were uh, belonging to the party of that person. Uh, soldiers that worked under uh, the rule of Caesar were called Caesarian soldiers. And so uh, people who belonged to the Christ, the party of Jesus, the Christ, they were given the name Christian, Christian. And, and it meant that they, they belonged to Jesus. They were part of the, the, the family of Jesus. They were Jesus people. Do I have any Jesus people here today? I hope so. I feel like I've seen and experienced some of you, and it's fantastic. I've got to tell you, you are some of the best, my favorite Jesus people that I've ever got to be around. You know why? Because you're doing something mind-blowing. You're actually living out a life that looks and acts and sounds a whole lot like Jesus. I love that in you. I see it when, when we gather here on Sundays. I see it as we go through the week. I hear about it in life groups and in men's ministry and women's ministry and all these different things that are going on. I, I hear it. I hear what God is doing through those of you that say, yes, I am a Christian. And that actually means something to me. Jesus changed my life. And so how could I be anything but the full-blown definition of what Jesus intended me to be in the first place. And we've always got room to grow, though, right? We've got room to, to continue to allow God to stretch us and, and change us and grow us up into the Christians uh, that we were really meant to be. See, people in the days of Scripture here, they, they were familiar with Jesus and so when they saw other people that reminded them of Jesus, the name stuck, Christian. Today, uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with Jesus, but they're familiar with Christians. And sometimes that's a problem <laughs> because somewhere along the line, uh, the, the church, the family of God, Christians, followers of Jesus have, have drifted away or never really understood in the first place what it meant to be a follower of his. And so for your own sake, this is going to be crucial over the next few weeks. Maybe to remind yourself, or for the first time, be clued into some things about what are true about you, what it actually means from the Bible's perspective to be a Christian. But it's also going to benefit everybody else around you. It should. It should. When, when you get who you are in Christ, then it will also benefit people around you. I guarantee it. And that's what we're hoping for. And so this morning we're going to go back. We're going to go back to Antioch in Acts chapter 11. And we're going to look at what God's word says and describes as going on at this moment in history where the term Christian was first used and compare and see what we can learn from them. Uh, you know the early church, a lot of amazing stuff began to happen. And, and when Jesus got a hold of the lives of people, which it just stopped there for a moment. That's so mind-blowing because what these people had seen 
and observed and then heard was so life-changing. It was so mind-blowing that they couldn't help but change the way that they behaved and the way they acted and the things that they said. And that began to spread like wildfire. And they began to tell other people, sometimes in words, often indeed, about what Jesus was like. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus began to, to spread. A lot of it spread because, as is still the case, sometimes when you're living your faith out loud, it's offensive to people. It's bothersome to people. And in the early church, um, God even kind of allowed some of this because the early church was prone, just like we are, to getting lazy. And lying was already creeping into the early. We like to think that about the early church with rose-colored glasses. And, oh, I, if, if we could be like the early church, then we'd be good to go. There's principles there, yes, but they were filled with a whole bunch of sinners just like us. And, and subject to the same difficulty and challenges that, that we would face. And persecution came, and, and that caused comfortable, uh, potentially comfortable, lazy believers to scatter. But as they scattered, um, Jesus' people scattered. And therefore, Jesus, the truth of Jesus, began to, to scatter. And, and the good news didn't just go to Jewish people. It went to non-Jewish people. It went to Gentiles. It went to Greeks. And in Acts chapter 11, we'll zoom in on what was going on in Antioch that got so much attention. And verse 19 and 20 through 21 says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, Stephen believed in Jesus and spoke up about it and, and then got killed for it. Uh, people gathered and threw rocks at him while he preached, while he testified, while he proclaimed a message of hope and love, other people threw rocks at him until it killed him. And that persecution broke out, scattered people, and those who traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, the Gentiles, non-Jews, and telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord Oh, that is so good. You get what happens here? Believers, Christians got persecuted and that led to them preaching. You get persecuted, what's your first response? You get persecuted and my first response isn't always, I want to love these people more. I want to preach it up more. I want to share good news when they're bringing bad news to me. And yet Christians, what, what do Christians do? Christians get scattered under persecution, get scattered under difficult circumstances, and they, they continue to preach the good news in the face of bad people, in the face of bad news. They preach and they love and they pour themselves out wherever they go. They continue to live out loud what Jesus is like, what he's about it continues on in verse 22. News of this 
reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas is the man. I love Barnabas. Maybe my favorite man in the scriptures. Uh, Barnabas is a fantastic guy. His name means son of encouragement. Come on, I throw this out every once in a while. You're pregnant right now and you're pregnant with a boy. Name him Barney or something because this is a a legacy worth carrying on. Uh, Son of encouragement. There's something so core to his nature to lift up when everybody else would just tear down. And so Barnabas goes uh, to Antioch, and when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. And he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. This is what we want, right? We want people to find hope where they've only got despair. And so Christians, when, when they hit hard times, they preach and it gets attention. Christians, like Barnabas, drop into people's lives and bring joy and encouragement and hope and laughter and comfort and healing and faith and truth, and the Spirit of Almighty God makes people go, whoa. That's what Christians are like. That's what Christians do. Christians, this is mind-blowing. Jesus gets a hold of a Christian's life, and Christians don't live the same as they used to. Oh, man, that's rocket science right there. Can you imagine, I mean, the living God telling you, I love you, and I'm going to forgive you, wipe you clean, and I'm going to use you. And you'd go, oh, that's cool, sweet, I'll just come to service once a week, and you can tell me more about that. (laughs) Come on. Jesus died and rose again to bring us so much more then a Sunday service at 1159. <laughs> he died to create a, a people who lived out a life like Jesus lived out. And to be people like Barnabas, that's, that's Christians and they were gathering attention. He needed a little bit of help. We always need help. Verses 25 and 6. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. You remember Saul? Uh, it's, been, it's been 12 years in the timeline of the book of Acts since we've seen Paul, uh, Saul. Saul was a persecutor of the church, persecutor of Christians. And yet he had a, a moment with Jesus and It's mind-blowing. It changed everything about him. Can you imagine? You're all about hatred toward. And then Jesus comes and says, I know who you are and I know what you've been doing. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to grab a hold of that heart. But now I'm going to use you in ways that you never 
imagined. That's, that's what Jesus did, and he grabbed a hold of this life, and as soon as he became a Christian, now for 12 years he's been in ministry prep, uh, heart prep, uh, recalibrating the way he was going to look at people and look at God and look at himself. There's an awful lot going on. And Barnabas, Barnabas was a guy that had already been in Saul or Paul's corner years before. Because as you'd imagine, a bunch of the believers that already existed when Saul got saved and had his name changed to Paul, a bunch of the believers were like, I know that guy. I'm not super interested in hanging out with that guy. He's terrifying. We know what he was like before Jesus. And it was Barnabas that stood up for Saul back then. And it's Barnabas going, no, no, no. The, the Lord has a plan for him. The Lord has a purpose for him. He's got a place with the Lord. He's got a place with us. And I'll stand up for that all day long. And now he's reaching back saying, okay, Saul, I need some help. And so they show up and look what they do. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Uh, so some devoted Christians uh, invested a whole bunch of time centered around the teaching of the Word of God. And what they were doing was, I'm going to devote myself to you, and I'm going to get you anchored into the Word of God. It's much better that you develop this thing where people are dependent on God and his word more than a human being, more than themselves. And that takes time. But what he was also doing was they were setting up a pattern of something that Paul would talk about later in the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians uh, chapter four, he says, that's why, Paul says, that's why God gave some people to be pastors and evangelists and teachers and shepherds to prepare, to equip God's people for works of service, for the work of the ministry, and to lean into the knowledge of the Son of God so that you could attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what Christians do. We, we devote ourselves to each other and to the Word of God so that we can grow up some of you have been walking with Jesus for 30 years, but you've lived the first year of your Christian life 30 times. That's not growing up. That's not maturing. And that isn't the full scope of what God had in mind when it comes to being a Christian. What it means is, I'm going to devote myself to God and his word and invite him constantly to clue me in about things and call me up and heal me up and chisel off and strengthen me and then use me. And they did. The early church got used of God in, in huge ways. 
Just a couple of verses right after. Look what happens, verse 27. It says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and, through the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this actually happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Uh, when, When circumstances got difficult, the famine hits, then Christians did what Christians were meant to do. They were there for each other. They sacrificed for each other. They began to be generous with each other. They cared for each other. That's what Christians do. When challenges hit your family, uh, your neighborhood, your community, your church, Christians step up to the plate. Christians contribute. Christians give back, often sacrificially. That's what Christians do. And then that's what, that's what they did. And all of these things are, are markers of, of why. Why people in Antioch, their, their attention was grabbed by these Jesus people. Enough to give them a name. Man, they're just like Jesus. And maybe it came as a jab or a jeer first because it turns out that Antioch was a place that liked, they were known to, to give these witty epigram or slang terms for all sorts of categories of people. But as soon as, as, soon as the Jesus people said, that's the name, that's the jab, Jesus people, I kind of like that. You could accuse me of a lot worse. I'll take that name. Because when you really get who Jesus was and what he's like, well, I'll be associated with him any day. And kind of regardless of what you think or what you feel, well, then I'm on board with him. Hopefully the longer that you get to know me, then the more that you'll get to know him, and then now the association won't be a bad thing, but it'll be a good thing for you. But when you say, I am a Christian, what's that mean? I mean, just for you first. When you say, I am a Christian, there's a, a whole bunch of things that should, should pop into your mind with regard to what's that actually mean about you. And we'll have weeks to unpack this, but I just want to give you a handful today, just a few things that I think are so key for you and I with regard to your real identity These are things that the Bible has spoken out over you that are true about you. More true than anything else. And these things are so true about you from the scriptures that you've got to wrestle with this. In just a moment, some things are going to go up on the screen. But before they do, I just want you to think about something. If if you believe differently about yourself, or you feel differently about yourself than what God says about you. 
one of you is mistaken. And it's not him. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, in other words, at some point down the road here, you've recognized that without God, you're lost, you're dead, your sin is separating you from him, and you recognize that the only hope of rescue from your sin is the Jesus that already came, died, and rose from the dead, taking God's wrath and hatred for sin on himself so that you don't have to. God's a righteous, perfect, holy God, and we are not, and the two don't go together. But rather than leave us at odds with each other, leave us separated from him, Jesus says, I'll take the punishment. I will satisfy a holy God and take the burden on me so that people I love can be free from it. If you've repented, you turn your back on sin and you turn to face Jesus and you say, I want you to sit in the driver's seat of my life. Then there's a whole bunch of new things that are now true about you. And in the sincerity of that moment, there's something very new about you. But what is it? Well, we could go on and on, but here's just a few. When you say, I am a Christian, you're no longer a slave to sin, Romans says. Take out your phone, take a picture of this, jot these notes down, memorize it, go study it. What verses are here are not the only verses on this subject. Scripture agrees across the board with all these concepts. Here's what's true about you. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're not bound by it. You're not defined by it. You are freed and forgiven. And so when you, why that matters is, if that's true, then when you screw up, if you, well, when you screw up, then you just have to go back. Because the enemy will say, see, you're still stuck and you're always going to be stuck and God hates you and you're never ever going to outrun this. But the truth is here, what God says about you, you're not a slave to it. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. And we will occasionally stumble and fall when we choose our own way. But you're not a slave to it. You're a slave to God, not a slave to sin. And if you're going to sit under the rule of anybody, then that's way better to sit under the rule of Almighty God than the rule of the enemy that just wants to destroy you. But what's also true about you is that you're adopted as a child of God. You're adopted as a child of Almighty God. That is the best. That is fantastic. Because for you, um, you, you now are a co-heir with Christ. You're not just a friend of God, but you're in the family of God. Have you ever felt like you didn't have a place? You didn't have a daddy? Well, then the Abba Father, Heavenly Daddy says, you got a place with me. I've adopted you. I'm going to give you my name. You're not a slave. You're a son. You're not a slave. You're a daughter. You're one of mine. And I love that. I love that you're with me. That's true about you. What's also true about you is that you're an ambassador for Christ. Second Corinthians says an ambassador is one that lives elsewhere and they are a part of a different kingdom 
living under the rule of whatever authority is there, but they live in a foreign land and try to represent well where they're from and the ruler of their land. And that's you and I as Christians. We've got a role to play, but we also need to be, we're a part of a much bigger kingdom that's going to outlast anything that's going on here on planet earth. And you're a part of, of this kingly rule. You're under the kingly rule of Jesus the Christ. That's what a Christian is. That's what's true about you here and now. And that can't be taken from you. What's also true about you is that you are essentially, if you boil this all down, you are saved by your faith in Jesus' work. You're not saved because you're a good person. You're not saved because you do all the right things and avoid all the wrong things. You are saved because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ and your faith that he is who he said he was, the son of the living God, who also raised from the dead to be alive in you. You are saved by your faith. You're rescued by your faith in Jesus Christ. You're going to put your trust anywhere. That's, that's where it needs to be. Because that, 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 that sign out in the lobby and the video beforehand and the screen image, I am a Christian, it's intentional that I am is in caps. Uh, I am is, is God's name, which... That's even better than Barnabas. I am. Way back in Exodus chapter 3, Moses having this moment with God and God shares his name for the first time and says, my name is I am. I am who I am, actually, is what he says, which is the coolest name. He's just declaring, I I absolutely am. I always have been, always will be. I am the God Almighty. I am that God. There's a lot of gods that are pretenders and knockoffs and wish we could be little G sorts of gods, but there's only one I am. And so you start to process that and you go, why, why does that matter? Well, let me just think about it. Uh, it could only be complete. If God says, I am God, then you can never say that. That's not your name. You're not God. There's one, one I am, and you're not it. But when you start to process, who in the world is going to help me through this awful season I'm going through? You just hear God say, I am. Uh, who's going to rescue me from sin? If, who's going to pull me out of the muck? And my, who's going to save me if I can't save myself? God says, I am. I mean, it's core to his name. Then you fast forward to the New Testament. You fast forward to John chapter 8. And Jesus is getting grilled by some people. Because Jesus has kind of made this comment in passing saying, um, yeah, Abraham, you know Abraham from the Old Testament. I mean, way old, Old Testament. Um, I know Abraham. I've seen Abraham. And the people are like, what? You've seen him? Jesus, come on. You're not even 50 years old. How could you have seen Abraham? He's been dead for centuries. And Jesus speaks up and he says, oh, he knows what he's doing. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. Oh, that's good. Jesus totally knew what he was doing. Because when he's speaking to these people and he says, 
Before Abraham was, I am. One, that sounds super weird, except to those people, because they went, oh, he just, did he just say what I think he said? Yeah, he said that. Who is I am? I am is God, the one and only true God. Did he just say before Abraham was, I'm him? Yeah, he said that. As you'd imagine, mixed reaction. And yet Jesus linked himself with God Almighty. And now you and I link ourselves with Jesus. What an amazing river you and I jumped into when we jumped into a relationship with God. You are a Christian. You are linked in with God Almighty, with Jesus himself. We're Jesus people. That's true about you. It should start to manifest. It should start to show up. And uh, so what is also true about you from the scriptures, I am workmanship. You're God's workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. To what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're the workmanship. You're the masterpiece of Almighty God and created in the person of the work of Jesus what he did, rounded out the masterpiece. You're all made in the image of God, whether you've got a relationship with Jesus or not. But for those that have confessed Jesus as Lord, well, now you're in Christ Jesus, and this list begins to apply. And now he's saying, I got a whole bunch of good stuff for you to do. You're not earning your salvation. You're not earning his approval. It's just the natural overflow of what it means to be a Christian. To have one overtaken by the love and mercy of Jesus means you're going to live totally different. As a masterpiece, you have some good works to go do. Does this church even benefit that you're in it? Does this neighborhood, community, even benefit because you're in it? If not, you got some processing to do over the next few weeks. You are meant to make an impact and make a difference. And in a context like this, you're, being a Christian does not just mean attending a service any more than you spending the next year in your garage would turn you into a car. (laughs) Just being here, I mean, this is kind of, this is special, this is important, but this is the bottom most rung on any sort of ladder. This ain't it. And so come on. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he master architected long, long ago, long before you were even alive. Before you were here, God had your picture hanging on his wall. He had you in mind. He's got his cosmic to-do list, and then he's got his creation, and he loves to see those dots connect. Oh, you made me? Then what have you made me for
Christians don't just attend church when it's convenient. Uh, They don't just live out their faith when their preferences are checked off. Uh, There's a whole different thing going on as Christians in the biblical sense. We're the light of the world. We bear good fruit. We're known by the way that we love each other. We're supposed to be known by our obedience. We express our love to God in the way that we obey him. We're called to be living sacrifices. We're not supposed to be people who are self-preserving, but rather self-sacrificing. That's what a Christian is. That's what a Christian means. Eusebius, the famous early church historian, describes a believer named Sanctus from Lyons, France, who was tortured for Jesus. As they tortured him cruelly, they hoped to get him to say something evil or blasphemous. They asked his name, and he would only reply, I am a Christian. What nation do you belong to? He would answer, I am a Christian. What city do you live in? I am a Christian. His questioners began to get angry. Are you a slave or a freed man? I am a Christian, was his only reply. No matter what they asked about him, he would only answer, I am a Christian. This made his torturers all the more determined to break him, but they could not, and he died with the words, I am a Christian, on his lips. And as harsh or crazy as it sounds, I could only pray the same outcome for us. Maybe not martyrdom, but that the dying words on your lips, however you end up passing away, would have something to do with a reminder of who you are and whose you are, and what you lived your life for, who ruled your life, why your life mattered, and much less the one who who was going to shape your life to come, eternal life. I am a Christian, but I also pray that it's not just your words, your lips that are a reflection of Jesus, but that your life shows it as well. And looking around at these faces, I got no doubt that's going to be the case. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He's got a purpose and a plan for you. Regardless of your backstory, he's got a future story for you as a Christian that can change the world. And so, Father, we just thank you for that. We thank you that you you have declared to us some things that are true about us. Help us just feel the full weight of how true those things are, even when we don't feel like it, or other people tell us otherwise, or our own thoughts, emotions betray us. Help us walk in what is most true about us, and then just go be the people that you've already said we are. Use us for your kingdom's sake, for your glory's sake, as we live out our identity, Father, in you. In Jesus' name, amen.